All right, we are starting a new series this morning um, called Foundations. Um, foundations matter, right? Do they matter to us? Are foundations important? Like in the house you live, the apartment complex you live in, the condo you live, those foundations like go a little one way or the other, like you're done for, right? Those things are caving in and you're asleep and it's just bad and you're on the news. Like foundations are really, really, really important, right? So they're critical for us. And so uh, it's important to make sure that, that investment and time and energy and resources go into foundations so that they are set up properly, so that a structure can be built upon it. Likewise, our foundation in this community is critical with regards to where we are and why we're going, where we're going, it's critical to know as a community what are the fundamental foundational things for us as a community. And so over the next five weeks, we want to walk through our vision and our distinctives together to re- reset and remember what are the fundamental foundational things for us as a community. So I recognize, I mean, you're overloaded with content. We got podcasts, we got blogs, we got so emails, we got all the things that are, that are coming our way. And so it's very easy for vision to leak. And so we want to just remember yet again, why do we exist? Why are we here? as a community. And so as a community, our vision is that we want to be committed to seeing lives transformed and our city renewed with the gospel of Jesus. Like that's, that's, that's fundamental for us. Like we are, if we steer away from that, we're closing these doors. Like it's that important to us that we commit ourselves to seeing lives transformed and our city renewed with the gospel of Jesus. We have four pillars, four distinctives that uphold that, that kind of help us move into the direction we want to go. And those four pillars are, we want to be gospel-centered as a community. We want to be contemplative as a community. We want to be authentic as a community. We want to be missional as a community. So over the next several weeks, we're going to go through our vision. We're going to go through our four distinctives and kind of reset what is that foundational reality for us as a community and where we're going, who we are, and make sure that that's set straight. Because again, if that's wonky, everything falls apart. And so we're going to dive into that um, over the next several weeks. Sound good? Thrilled? Thrilled. Good, good. So we're going to hone in on our vision this morning. So I got two things I I want you to hear this morning, two primary things that Sojourn's about. First is that we are committed to seeing lives transformed. The second thing is we're committed to see our city renewed with the gospel of Jesus. So we're going to just break that up. That's what we're doing this morning, and we're done. Um, Committed to seeing lives transformed with the gospel of Jesus. Lives transformed. I love those two words, lives transformed. I actually want to break them down together. So lives, let's focus on that word lives. It means people, not a type of people. We believe that the gospel isn't just for people that grew up in Sunday school. Like the gospel is actually for any and all and has the power to ransom and rescue and save all types of people and every spectrum of socioeconomic status, regardless of nationality or tribe or tongue, all people, God's designed this gospel to impact. Now, I want to just flesh that out with us together because I don't know if we really believe that from like a fundamental perspective. As we think about like the functionality of that playing out in our lives, you think about your neighbor, we think about that person at work that drives you nuts. You think about that relationship that you used to have with a friend and now you don't because they drive you nuts. They've made some things, some decisions that have bothered you. Like wherever you are, it's very easy to just punt and just say, maybe the gospel isn't for them. Well, let's reset and remember who this is for. So in Acts 16, Paul is uh, traveling. He's planting churches all over Asia Minor. 
So this is, uh, this is happening, and as he does, we kind of hone in on this area around Macedonia and, and, and this following text. I want to just see three different people that encountered the gospel. Let's look at that. So in Acts 16, starting in verse 13, we read this. And on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside, where we supposed there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia. Everybody say Lydia. Lydia. Good. Named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized in her household as well, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. So we meet Lydia. Lydia had money. She had power. She had influence. Lydia was a, uh, an affluent fashionista. Okay, like purple goods, these are like rich uh, thread that was used to make the finest of clothing. That's who Lydia is. And so on this day, God drew her heart near to himself. She was religious. She was not a follower of Jesus. She was religious. She believed in God. She was spiritual is what we would call it in the 21st century. So she was a spiritual person, did not believe in Jesus specifically. But on that day, her life turned No one's too far from God. This woman, her heart was drawn towards Jesus, towards following Jesus, and everything shifted for her on that day. That's Lydia. And then we go next verse, verse 16. It says this, As we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owner as much gain by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and us, crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaimed to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out of her that very hour. So the second person we meet is this this slave girl. She's abused. She's spiritually in bondage. She's physically in bondage. Dealing with mental health issues, surely. But the gospel wasn't impotent. The gospel isn't impotent. The power of the gospel and the spirit met her because no one is too far from God. And even in Paul's fleshly irritation, we could spend some time talking about this, we're not going to, but he was annoyed in this moment. He was annoyed of the spirit that was kind of guiding her through this and just frustrated. And in his flesh, he, God even showed up and, and she was set free, which is encouraging for me that in our own brokenness, God can still use us. But man, that girl was liberated on that day. A girl that was in bondage spiritually, in bondage in this uh, relationship, uh, being enslaved. And it's powerful that she was set free in this day. This isn't, this isn't often how God works, but he can work this way. Sometimes he works through medicine. Sometimes he works through counseling. And sometimes he works through miracles. And sometimes he uses the common grace of medicine and counseling to lead us to freedom. But nonetheless, God showed up, and on this day, her heart was set free. No one is too far from God. So we meet two women so far on opposite ends of the spectrum. Their social circles are not overlapping at all, right? We have Lydia, rich, fashionista. We have this poor girl that's enslaved to this person and enslaved to this spirit, and both encounter 
the gospel, but it's not finished. Following in, in verse 25, it says this. About midnight, so just pause for a second. So because uh, this girl was set free, she was a moneymaker for her owner. And so her owner got ticked and begins to raise Cain and cause frustration. He's super annoyed, and so this riot begins to occur. And Paul and his posse gets thrown into prison. And so we pick up in verse 25 what's happening. And so in verse 25, about midnight, Paul and Silas were stating that they were victims and they were so frustrated by what had happened. No, is that what it says? No, they weren't doing that. They were praying and singing hymns to God. It's challenging for us when life doesn't go our way. Do we, do we function like lifting our eyes up or like we're the victim of every single thing that happens to us? It's a good reminder here. Praying and singing hymns to God and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. Likely, likely not good foundations, right? Hmm. Uh, where am I? Um, it's, it's kind of stupid. I don't know why I said that, but it, it, it fits. Whatever. <laughs> fits with the series. Not my notes, so whatever. And immediately all the doors were open and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for, all, for we are all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour that night and washed their wounds, and he was baptized at once, he and all of his family. Then he brought them up into the house and set food before them, and he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. So we got Lydia, we got this possessed girl, and then third, we meet this third uh, shift blue-collar jailer. That's what we got here. He had a family, and he lived paycheck to paycheck to make ends meet. This is the guy, we don't know much about him, but we know that. And, and late in the night, in the middle of his shift, he hears this ruckus going on in his jail that he's responsible for. And it's this ruckus, this abnormal to what he's used to, it's singing. It's people singing songs to this God that they are proclaiming as the one God, Jesus. And suddenly the earth shook and the doors in the jails opened up. And they now have this freedom. It's this one dude against however many people are in this prison. And, and that's not going to go good for him. And he knew that they were on his watch. And so he sought to harm himself. But Paul cried out. And, and in him crying out, the jailer, his heart became open to the gospel. And he turned. He said, what must I do? As he falls before the prisoner, the, the one who's in charge of the prisoner falls before him. And he says, what must I do to be saved? See, this third shifter experiencing the healing power of the gospel. And on that day, his life turned. No one is too far from God. So we see Lydia. We see this girl possessed. And we see this third shift jailer. What similarities do these people have besides the fact that they're human? Like, not much at all. But the gospel has the power to save all kinds of people. It's good news for us. 
So when we say lives transformed with the gospel, there's not a type of person we have in mind. There's not a specific type of person. There's not uh, someone that's specifically primed to follow Jesus. No, whether you're married or single, whether you're young or old, all tribes, tongues, nations, any and all. And see, we have this tendency. I have this tendency to write people off. Man, the gospel is powerful. Spirit is powerful. He's powerful to save. God is at work, and he's inviting us into a life where we can experience and see others experience a life deeply formed by Jesus. See, this is what we're about. Lives, all kinds of people, transformed is the second word that we read. And and so here we see that we're committed to see lives transformed with the gospel of Jesus. So to be transformed, that Greek word is to be changed from one thing into another. It's it's another synonym would be metamorphosis. It's what happens from a caterpillar to a butterfly. It's this transforming reality that takes place. And that is what's offered to all who wants to follow Jesus, a life deeply transformed by Jesus. See, transformation is a two-way street. It's not just passive, waiting for God to do this work in our lives. It's a two-way street. In one sense, it is a space of a posture of receiving from God. Transformation comes to us when we receive the depth of God's love and God's care and God's delight and God's pursuit and God's mercy and God's grace. Like, that does something to our souls, and it's not because we earned it, not because we worked for it, not because we, we built a resume for God to say, oh, that's not bad, I'm going to pick him. No, it's out of his grace and his care and his mercy that liberates our hearts to say that God, the creator of all things, who knows all things, loves me. That does something to our guts. That shapes us in a really profound way. So on one side, there is an aspect of a receiving, but on the other side of transformation, it is us intentionally following Jesus. You're not going to experience the transforming nature of Jesus if you don't intentionally shift your life towards following Jesus. So when we say lives transformed, we want to see people receive the depth of the gospel and to actively seek to follow Jesus. This is that that simple message that Jesus gave over and over again as he lived his life on earth. He said these two words, follow me. You remember that if you've read through the Gospels before? Over and over, he said, follow me, follow me, follow me. It was an invitation for his, these people in his day to follow him. And that had a context. There was a context in that day. It was that he was a rabbi, which meant teacher. And in that day, as a teacher, he would invite people to come under him, to do what he did, to become like him, to look as he looked. And so he'd bring people under him to do so. This might be on the screen um, It says this, to be a disciple of Jesus or a Christian means that we take on the practices of a rabbi, where we choose to be with him, become like him, and do what he did, much like an apprentice learning a trade in our day. To follow Jesus is not a simple prayer we pray. Praying a prayer is the doorway into a life that is reoriented around him as our Savior and Lord. As apprentices, we are now learning to mirror and embrace his lifestyle so that we can experience his abundant life. This is the depth of life that he offers to us. And so for us, it's it's both us receiving the depth of his love and choosing to intentionally follow Jesus. That's where we will find transformation in our lives. See, salvation isn't just about going to heaven. 
There's a temptation for us to think that if we just pray the prayer, then we're kind of good. We got the ticket so we can get into heaven. But if that's salvation, we're missing the depth and the opportunity that Jesus offers to us. See, the very heart of Jesus is for us to follow him. This is where our life actually experiences the depth of transformation. Dallas Willard once said, a disciple is a learner, a student, or an apprentice, a practitioner. Disciples of Jesus are people who do not just profess certain views as their own, but apply their growing understanding of life in the kingdom of the heavens to every aspect of their life on earth. So Jesus is inviting us into a life that's fully transformed by him here and now, not just waiting for that future day. See, I believe that God has set our feet here as a community to see a discipleship movement take place. I believe that we're not the only church. I believe there's many churches. I'm praying that there will be many churches in this area that would see a discipleship movement take place, where we'd actually see a community of people all over the city seeking to actively follow Jesus. We're committed to this. We desire this. We desire for Christ to be formed in us. That's why we're, we've been doing workshops this spring throughout the last several months to actually help us take steps in doing that. We want to do that again this fall. But I think as a whole, the church is kind of split around this issue. It's either on one side, there's kind of an emphasis of just accept, just accept the message. If you can just accept the message and get baptized, then you're good. Maybe if you do a devotional kind of once a week, then you're good. And then, and then there's a lot of kind of maybe uh, the, the trap there would kind of be a hyperemphasis of, of grace and, and a lack of kind of intentionally following Jesus. And on the other side, there would be a, a major emphasis not on the message, but on just uh, and, and legalism kind of doing all the things that you feel like you need to do to kind of prove yourself to God. And there's extremes to both sides, but I do think that there's a, a middle ground that Jesus offers us into. I think both fall short. Again, Dallas Willard goes on to say, he says, grace is not opposed to effort. It is opposed to earning. Earning is an attitude. Effort is an action. Grace, you know, does not just have to do with forgiveness of sins. And so we're designed to both spend our lives swimming in the message of the grace of Jesus and actively seeking to follow Jesus. And so the way we play it out, again, this is where our distinctives come in, and spoiler alert for the upcoming weeks, but gospel-centered becomes the baseline, the ground that we walk on as we seek to follow Jesus. So when we fall on our face, we fall on the grace of Jesus, and then we get up and we keep moving forward, and then we fall again, and we will fall again. We remember the grace of Jesus, and we keep seeking to follow him as we swim in the reality of his grace and care. So we receive the message of Jesus to experience transformation, and we actively seek to follow Jesus. It's here where we experience the fruit of Jesus. It's here where we become distinct, and when we begin to receive the grace of Jesus, and the kindness of Jesus, and the love of Jesus, and the patience of Jesus, and we follow him, we begin to exude his fruit, which is love, and joy, and peace, and patience, and kindness, and so on. So our distinctives move towards that end. So the first thing I want us to see is that we are committed to seeing lives deeply transformed by Jesus. All people. I don't care your background. I don't care. I believe that God has the power to change your life. And I want us to have that mentality for ourselves that no one's too far gone. And as how we interact with others that no one's too far gone. That God has the power and the ability to change and transform lives. We're committed to seeing lives transformed by the gospel of Jesus, by receiving his grace and care 
and by following him actively. We'll continue to flesh that out in the upcoming weeks. That's the first thing. We're committed to seeing lives transformed by Jesus. The second thing is we're committed to seeing our city renewed with the gospel of Jesus. You know, Jesus, we, we're familiar with this if you've been a part of church for some time. He summoned the, the core that he had, his disciples, after he rose from the dead. Again, if you weren't here last week, he did rise from the dead, okay? So after he rose from the dead, he got his crew together. And he said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teach them how to follow me, is what he said. And so we believe that the work of Jesus goes beyond us. It doesn't end with us just having a, a kind of a, a, a click of people who have experienced the grace of Jesus, but the goal is to actually extend it to others, which means that this leads towards being outward. So the wake that we leave is designed to make this place look a little bit more like the kingdom of Jesus. Your goal, one of your goals is following Jesus, is to allow the wake of your life to actually look a little bit more like Jesus, to allow the imprint that you leave on this earth, to, to allow the people around you to actually experience the kingdom of heaven a bit more, where you live, where you work, and where you play. And so in Acts 19, we fast forward just a couple chapters from where we just were, and we get this wild story. There's some wild stories in Acts. If you haven't read it, you should read it. And if it's been a minute, it's good to just remind ourselves of We see the Spirit working. We see the Spirit fall upon these people, and their hearts are renewed to follow Jesus. And then we, after that, we see these sons of Sceva, these people who tried to use the power of Jesus without knowing Jesus, and these demons turn on them, and they run out of the city naked. I mean, it's wild. This is the Bible. This is not just the message version. This is like the Bible, okay? And so we see these people running, like running. If you go into a fight and you leave naked, you've lost the fight, right? And so they're, they're leaving. They're gone, okay? So they're, they're fleeing for their lives. In the midst of all of that, like God shows up. And the spirit like falls upon this church in Ephesus in this like beautiful way. And people begin to turn like what they call like witchcraft things. Like they begin to burn books and they begin to like, like millions and millions of dollars worth of, of, of content is burned because people wanted to reject the ways of the world and start following Jesus. Like this moment is just profound. Like I, the only way I can imagine is like, what if we just showed up at Terrell Mill and thousands of people showed up and they threw their smartphones into a pile and burned it. And so we want to follow Jesus and this is keeping us, this is suffocating our souls from doing so. I mean, it's like that kind of wildness. I'm not saying you need to do that, but I'm saying it's that kind of wildness is happening in the church in Ephesus. And then we get these few verses here in verse 17 and following. It says, and this became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks, and fear fell upon them all. And the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. Also, many of those who were now believers came professing and divulging their practices, and a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all, and they counted the value of them and found it to be 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. The church in Ephesus experienced something pretty profound in their day. They began to see this movement take place. And so there's four ways that we want to see our city renewed that I want to just submit to you, some of which we're going to get into when we hit missional in a couple of weeks. 
I'll, so I'll, I'll briefly mention the first two and then hone in on the latter two. So there's kind of four ways we want to flesh this out. First is through local care. So we want to, we want to get after loving Brumby Elementary School well. And you hear Mike come up, share about he's leading that endeavor. But man, I want to, I want to lean into uh, being a long-term faithful presence at Brumby. Like in a, in a non-selfish way, don't hear me say this the wrong way, but I, I want it to be as if we weren't here that they would miss us because of the way we cared, the way that we loved, the way we poured ourselves out, the way we sacrificed with generosity, the way we sacrificed with our time, the way we uh, came alongside of uh, single parents and supported them and loved them and made sure they didn't feel alone, that the church was there to support them. We want to get after local care. That's a way that we want to see our city renewed. We also, with other, with other partners, with Atlanta Angels, uh, a foster care community, we want to get alongside of foster care families and make sure they don't feel alone. We want to support in that regard. When it comes to First Care Women's Clinic, when it comes to um, moms who are seeking to have an abortion, and they go to this place to figure out if, if this is kind of a last resort, and, and they are able to supply support for mamas who want to keep their babies, or even give them up for adoption and just go to full term. We want to come alongside of that ministry and support them. These are practical ways that we want to care locally in this area to see our city renewed. Uh, on June 12th, um, we're going to be having a serve day. We did this last year. We'll do it again this year. So we're going to have a time where we're going to be supporting things at local angels. We're going to, Atlanta Angels. We're going to be uh, supporting Bromby Elementary. We're going to be supporting First Care Women's Clinic. We're going to be fleshing some of that out in the upcoming weeks. But that's a, a practical way. So on Sunday morning, we're going to be here, um, but maybe dress a little bit more casual. and be sweaty over at Bromby, or we're going to be creating some boxes for foster families. We're going to take our Sunday morning and focus in on serving this community. And so that would be uh, one way we want to see our city renewed, is through local care. The second is we recognize that even, even though, even if we saw every person in the metro Atlanta area experience the gospel following Jesus actively, we're not finished. Because Jesus said, from Jerusalem to Judea, uh, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. And so we, as we think about uh, seeing our city renewed, we want to continually remember the nations. And so we have, on a practical level, secondly, it would be global outreach. We want to see other cities that we're partnering with renewed with the gospel. And so we have some cross-cultural workers we're going to continue to put before you. That Patrick and Joy Bannock, who are here right now, and they still need their laundry uh, washed. Yeah? We're good, actually. We're good. No more laundry. Praise God. Come to the picnic on May 1st. That's good. Yeah, the half clap. You know I love the half clap. That's great. Again, just all in or none at all. Like halfway is just the worst way, you know? And so uh, we have Patrick and Joy Bannock. Where, while they're here, we want to love on them as they serve in Bangkok, Thailand. And so Harrison and Taylor Dejarnit uh, in Putna, India. We, we love what they're doing in serving the women that are there in this textile company. We want to continue to invest into them and see the gospel go forth there. Our Cuban partners, we're continuing to move towards a specific partnership with a church plant in Cuba. We want to lean into that. And so we want to be a part uh, to see city renewed, see outward movement. We want to see in local care and global outreach. You can see that at sojournonline.org outreach. You can see some of those details. Third, and this is where I'm going to hone in in the last few minutes. Um, under the third way that we're wanting to see our, our city renewed is through living intentionally. We want to live intentionally as we follow Jesus. We want to equip you to, and invite you to exemplify Jesus in your life. So let's flesh out what that looks like. It starts, we will never be able to see a city or a neighborhood renewed with the gospel if it doesn't begin first in our homes. 
It will never happen. It's impossible to see a, a city renewed if our houses first aren't renewed. So we begin there. We begin in that place in our families, in our marriages, in our parenting, in our core relationships. And we want to see, and wanting to see our city renewed with the gospel, it begins with wanting to see marriages in this community restored and growing together. If the, if the marriages are broken within our family, we're never going to see anything happen in this community. And we recognize that we are all on a journey for those that are married, and it's not always easy. And so we have to be intentional as we grow together. We want to see husbands love their wives. We want to see wives support their husbands. We want to see the husbands and wives actively seeking to be students of each other. Like regardless if you've been married for six months, we've got a couple getting married in six days. Where are you guys? Yeah, Michael and Brooke. Or if you've been married for 60 years, like be a student of your spouse. We want to encourage you to not coast always growing together. And man, if you need help, get help. Shoot up the flare. Go to counseling. It's good. It's a gift. It's a means of grace for us in seasons. And so we want to begin with marriages and, and families. And so for our families, we want our families to flourish by parenting, our, our parents leading their kids, moms and dads owning their stuff. We see manhood as saying Sorry. And owning your stuff. Like, like saying, I'm sorry when I make a mistake. Like that's what it looks like to follow Jesus. That's what it looks like to be a, a dad who follows Jesus. For single mamas, we want to partner with you to see your family, your families flourish. We want to see the gospel formed through the family. Again, our homes renewed with the gospel only will then lead us to see our cities renewed. And so we want to live intentionally in our marriage. We want to live intentionally with our families. We want to live intentionally, man, with our neighborhoods and our communities. My dream, we had it last week where uh, we had somebody in our community baptize one of her coworkers. Like, yeah, let's do that. Like, I love, I love, I dream of the day where I'm meeting people who you guys have been loving and caring for for years, and their hearts turn, and you get to be a part of baptizing them. Like, the glory of seeing the church actually expand, and the church actually grow, and the gospel actually going forth, and living intentionally together. So we have local care, we have global outreach, we have living intentionally. And then the last thing we want to do in Sing Our City Renews, we want to plant churches. We want to plant churches. We've talked about this for a long time. We are a church plant. We planted in 2012. That means we got a 10-year anniversary. It's going to be crazy. Um, and so that's coming up in September. I have no clue what we're going to do, but it's going to be crazy. So in 2009, um, through a series of events, I began to feel drawn towards this idea of church planting. I had no grid for what it looked like at the time. I just had this desire, and the church planning option became like a primary means to do this. I just wanted to be a part of a community who wanted to follow Jesus and see people reached, see the gospel go forth. And so church planning seemed like the best way to do that. And so we, my wife and I went down that journey, and some of you were a part of that early on. We've had you know, bumps and bruises and learned along the way for sure, but it's become this beautiful outlet that I've found, this method to see the gospel go forth within communities. 
We believe that God, I've seen it happen in urban environments, in suburban environments, in rural environments where, man, God uses church plants to reach people, to follow him. I see it, that God is at work and using church planting as a part of what he's doing. And so we, we've desired from day one to do that. And as we grow and as we're maturing and as we're becoming more healthy, our hope is to become a healthy church who plants healthy churches. And so we want to, you want to have, add something to your things you're praying for, Pray. That God would guide us and give us wisdom on what it looks like to be a healthy church who plants healthy churches. And so both of our networks that we're a part of uh, push us towards that end. Uh, if you've been a part of Sojourn Connect, you'd be aware of this, which comes up in, um, when does that come up? On the 26th of June. Uh, and so we have b- both of our, uh, our networks. Transformation Network is a local church planting network that wants to see church plants in the North Metro Atlanta area. And we're also part of, and about seven of us in that network. And then we're part of Acts 29, which is a global network, about 700 churches in about 50 countries, also committed to seeing churches planted. And so we're actively seeking to plant churches. And so there, I wanted to show you, do we have a, are we good with the video? Uh, so I have a video from Acts 29 that further communicates our heart uh, for church planting. I'd love for us to watch as we close up in the next couple of minutes. Jesus came near and said to them, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end. Of the age. The heartbeat of Acts 29 is planting and supporting healthy, multiplying churches until the whole earth is filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. Before the risen Jesus ascended to his Father, he told his followers to go and make disciples, to proclaim Christ, baptize, and teach his commands to all nations. They obeyed their Lord. The gospel light pierced the darkness with eternal hope. Sinners became saints. Outcasts were welcomed. The abandoned were adopted. The saving message of Jesus began to spread far and wide. Jesus established his church. At Acts 29, we believe the church is God's primary mission strategy on earth. So being faithful to the Great Commission's call to make disciples means being passionate about church planting. All of us feel the weight of sin snaking through this world and want to make a difference. There are a million good deeds to do and charities to support, but consider this. Whatever cause grips your heart, the church answers it. Churches press into the needs of their communities with gospel hope and practical help. Churches run shelters, serve families, adopt orphans. They pray for the sick and mourn with the bereaved. We send missionaries across the world and also proclaim Christ next door. We see lives transformed by his gospel and for his glory, we make disciples. 
ordinary local churches are Christ's extraordinary means of grace to the world. This is why we plant churches. Today, Acts 29 churches are doing all this and more. Bible teaching churches of spirit-filled disciples all around the world are breaking through sin's darkness with gospel light as we fulfill the Great Commission by planting more healthy, multiplying churches, Christ advances his kingdom on the earth and people from all tongues and tribes and nations join us in worship of our risen king. This is the beauty of church planting. Cool. So we are committed to seeing lives transformed by the gospel and our city renewed. We believe that the gospel is powerful. We believe that Jesus is at work and we believe that he's advancing and his kingdom's not done. As we saw in Revelation, the, the best days are right now. And as we feel pressed, and as we feel pushed, and as there's confusion even in our nation about all kinds of things, we have an opportunity to be light. We have an opportunity to be hope. We have an opportunity to be distinct. And we want to double down and lean into that. We believe, like from Revelation, that there is a dragon that's wanting to lull us to sleep, wants to mute our love for Jesus, wants to mute our intentionality, limit our lives to a sad reality of chasing a check. We believe there's just more. And we want to invite each other into it. And so again, we have two foundations we want to commit ourselves to. Lives transformed and our city renewed with the gospel. So I love, as we close, I'd love to just take a couple minutes and pray. Man, I know that to see a church plant, to see God move in the lives of people, it takes the spirit. And so I would love to just, as we, as we close, before we take communion, just in the, in the people you came with, just to take a few minutes, I just want to pray uh, for, for two things. I want to pray that we would see lives transformed with the gospel, and we would see God work, not, not through sojourn, but through the big C church, our city renewed with the gospel of Jesus. That's what we want to get after. Would it be cool if you prayed with me in those two ways? Uh, I'd see lives transformed, our city renewed. Let's pray for that, and then I'm going to close this, and we'll take communion together. Let's take the next two minutes, and out loud, let's pray together. Father in heaven, we say, hallowed be your name, and we ask for your kingdom to come. Even in part now, your kingdom would come and your will would be done. Lord, we lift you our own lives. And Lord, I pray that you would do a deep work in this community. Would you make us look a little bit more like Jesus? Lord, I pray in our, our families, our marriages, and our singleness, regardless of where we are, Lord, I pray that you would show up in, in powerful ways, that we would see the residue of your spirit and the gospel at work in our lives. Lord, in our neighborhoods, I pray you'd show up. In this community, I pray you'd show up. At Brumby, through Atlanta Angels, through First Carol Women's Clinic, Lord, I pray you'd show up. Lord, in Bangkok and in Putnam and Cuba, would your kingdom come and your will be done. Lord, help us to not be so blinded by our own lives that we forget what you're doing in the world. Lord, I pray you'd draw us in the greater vision of what you're doing. Would you show up? Lord, we give you thanks. We ask for your spirit to, to move. We are dependent that you would move in through this. Lord, we ask that we would see lives transformed and our city renewed with your gospel. In Jesus' name, amen.